the cracking. It's a great pleasure to welcome Uwe uh, Sund from the University of St. Gallen uh, in Switzerland, who's uh, going to be talking about stability of risk and time preferences. He's got an uh, amazing CV, lots of papers in all the journals we all aspire to be in. Um, what's most notable, of course, for particularly for you, Dave, is the paper on the World Cup as a natural experiment. As the soccer fans in the audience will have uh, read that one. I'm going to hand the floor to you. You've got 50 minutes or so? Great. Mm -hmm. thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It's a great pleasure and honor to be here. And finally, I made it. The paper I want to present today is joint work with Armin Falk, Thomas Domen, and David Huffman. And I changed the title slightly because I, I couldn't finish all the stuff that I wanted to present on time preferences. So today I'm going to talk about the stability of risk attitudes, risk preferences, and uh, trust attitudes. And I'm going to talk about it in uh, two different notions of stability, let's say. Now the paper or the whole project, I have to say, is motivated by the observation that there is quite a lot of intergenerational stability in economic outcomes. And you observe that there are huge correlations in incomes, for example, or in wealth, or in educational attainment across generations, from, from parents to children, which of course raises questions, raises questions about how about social mobility? Is it that you are predetermined by birth to become successful or unsuccessful in the labor market, for example, or in terms of earning incomes. And whereas there is a growing literature on these outcomes, there is still a big question on why we observe these high intergenerational correlations in outcomes. Right? The literature has tried to come up with certain theoretical explanations for why that might be, including parents that care about their children, that inculcate their children, that transmit certain attitudes and preferences towards their children the way that they want their children to be. Could also be you know, that, that children just pick up randomly or by genetic predisposition, predisposition from their children certain things like attitudes toward risk or attitudes towards trust or, or things like that. And there are additional channels that might reinforce this intergenerational transmission, okay, and this intergenerational, this dynastic stability of outcomes. For example, because parents tend to mate assortatively. So in some sense, what we, what we expect or what we see is that uh, parents or people that are like each other, they get along better than, than people that are very different. And this, of course, might reinforce any type of intergenerational transmission of attitude or income or outcomes because it tends to reinforce the signals, so to speak. And, of course, also other things might matter. For example, that certain people, like rich parents, tend to settle in areas where there are a lot of rich parents of other children. And so kids grow up in environments that you know, helps to transmit a certain predisposition or helps to interact with uh, the things that their parents might, to, might, might uh, inherit or bequeath to them. And I, just if I'm already too confusing, from now on I'm going to just refer to attitudes as one particular channel, as one particular thing that might 
be at the source of this intergenerational correlation in outcomes. Okay? It might just be that parents and children are alike in certain important dimensions of economic decision-making. And of course, what we refer to as, as, as attitudes includes preferences, but as you will see in a second, the measures that we use, we cannot be 100% sure that they only measure preferences. They might also measure to a certain extent the beliefs about riskiness, for example, of certain actions that might be transmitted as well. So individuals might take certain actions in certain environments because they have certain preferences or because they have certain beliefs about a not so well specified decision environment. So our view on, on this whole literature is essentially saying, well, it could be that parents and children are alike in terms of economic outcomes because they're, they're making similar decisions and they make similar decisions because they are similar in terms of their preferences or attitudes. The question is, well, that sounds reasonable, at least to me, the question is, what about evidence on these channels? And the, the evidence, for example, on preferences and attitudes being transmitted from parents to children. What about assortative mating reinforcing this or other types of mechanisms? What about the environment? How stable are attitudes and preferences anyway within persons over time? And it turns out that there is very little direct evidence on these type of questions or empirical evidence responding to these type of questions simply because it's very hard to come up with data sets that allow us to investigate these issues. And there's also little evidence on stability. I will show you at the end some within-person evidence on stability of risk attitudes or risk preferences that we just started collecting and started uh, evaluating, so to speak. But why is it so hard and why don't we see many studies looking at these issues? Well, simply because the data requirements are pretty strict, <coughs> pretty restrictive. So what we would need to answer these questions would be data on attitudes or even preferences for parents and children alike. And we want to observe these attitudes at age, at age, age ranges that are relevant for economic decisions. Yeah. And now, I have to be careful what I say, knowing that you've seen Jim Heckman present. So what we argue is that if you talk about outcomes, of course, many things, many routes for the outcomes must or are laid down in early childhood. But what we want to see eventually is people making relevant economic decisions. So we want to see them as adults. Then what we would like to have, of course, if we were interested in assortative mating, we want to have data on spouses as well. And we want to have also information on the environment, on the neighborhoods or, or regions that individuals live in. Plus, to, to address the issue of, of stability within person, we want to have measures that have been systematically retested at different time intervals. And we want to have them retested also in incentive-compatible ways, and that leads me to, to the next issue. Of course, we want to have measures that are relevant for decisions, which is imposes an even stronger and even higher threshold for the usability of data. The research objectives of this paper, of this project, is to use data that we've, well, now not so recently anymore, but that we've created, that we've collected and validated to, to look at this intergenerational stability, at these dynastic stability issues. And also to shed some light on the, on the channels that have been emphasized in the literature. We won't be, and I have to be upfront with this, 
we won't be able to say it's this channel only and we can exclude all the others. Actually what we're finding is consistent evidence for most of the channels that have been emphasized in the literature. On which type of attitudes are we looking at uh, or concentrating, attended, focusing attention? Well, of course risk attitudes because we think risk is, well, decisions under uncertainty are ubiquitous, you know, we, we make decisions under uncertainty all the time, any type of relevant economic decisions for financial decisions, economic, uh, education and so on, they involve some degree of uncertainty and therefore risk attitudes will play some role in shaping decisions. What we also look at is trust in, uh, as an alternative measure for attitudes at large, but also because we think that social interactions, of course, always involve some possibility of being confronted with defection, of being vulnerable to defection of any social interactions being you know, caught down by, by somebody defaulting or defecting. Now the way to read this data could be, that's, that's my personal opinion, is that the measure of risk attitudes is probably a bit closer to a measure of preferences of some sort. As I said, I cannot exclude that attitudes or beliefs play a role here, but I would say that this is closer to what I would call preference transmission, whereas trust or the belief about trustworthiness that we're actually measuring here is more a sort of belief transmission. So that's also why looking at both types at the time may, may make some sense to, to look at the broad aspects of attitude transmission from parents to children, the stability issues across dynasty, well, across generations within a dynasty and also within time. Now the unique thing about the measures that we are using here is that we're using them at the generation, uh, at the, sorry, at the population level on a representative level, but we use measures that have been validated using experiments. And I'm going to show you in a second how this was done. The, the data essentially are all from the German socioeconomic panel. And the, each wave of these panels that we're using consists of a, about 22,000 individuals or 11,000 households or 12,000 households. And they are collected so to be, uh, in order to be representative of the German population. Now, for the purposes of this study, what we do is we restrict the sample to pairs, and I'm going to call them pairs of children and parents, and these are ch where we observe a child and both parents within the sample. So these are these triplets, I'm going to call them child-parent pairs. And of these we have about 3,600. Uh, where, and now I come to the age range, the oldest child is 57 years old, the average age of a child is 25. So these are adults, these are grown-ups, and the average age of the parent is 53, but the oldest ones are, are around 90 years old. But the advantage of this data set is it is representative, <coughs> at least the base sample is representative, and we have tons of individual information on socioeconomic background, on family and household background, on regions, and so on and so forth. The other thing to be noticed is that the data generation process, let me just, the data generation process is such that people are interviewed at home, but they're asked explicitly, well, asked is, is even too weak. So the interviewer has to make sure that they are all interviewed separately, which 
most of the time is not a big deal for the child to parent because many of these or most of these children are living somewhere else anyways. But even if they live in the same household, like the, the mother and the mother and the father, then they are asked to, to complete the survey separately, even <coughs> in separate rooms. So this is a rule that interviewers have to obey. Of course, we cannot be 100% sure that they do, but this is, this is what is supposed to be done. And I can assure you that the results are, that it doesn't really matter whether you condition on a subset of, of child-parent pairs that live in se separate households. The results are qualitatively similar. There was a question. That was my question. Okay. So these all yeah. mammies, boys, girls. Exactly, no, no. So I'll, uh, I have some evidence on that. Yeah. No, 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 no. Actually, the way it works is that the sub starts interviewing people and when they, even when they are children, but when they move out, they follow them. So that's, that's why we have them. And most likely these are people that have been in the first wave starting in 1984 or later. So they follow them as long as they stay in Germany? I uh, don't even know what about abroad. But within Germany they follow them. Of course there is some attrition there. But that's why... I'm not claiming that the child-parent data set is fully representative, but the base from which it was drawn is representative. Okay, so what is this risk measure and, and trust measure that we use? Well, the, the general risk question, as we call it, is just asking people, generally speaking, are you, prepared that is, are you a person that is fully prepared to take risks or are you a person that avoids to take risks? And individuals can give the responses on an 11-point scale from 0 to 10, where 0 means I'm completely unwilling to take any risks, and 10 means I'm willing to take any risk that you give me. And this question is very easy to understand, and then the big question is still, well, does it predict behavior in risky environments? In order to find that out, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. There are also other risk attitude questions that don't refer to a general context, but that refer to certain specific contexts, including how about risk-taking in health, how about risk-taking in car driving, how about financial matters, sports and leisure or career. Uh, we did not evaluate every, every one of them in the different domains, but what we tried to do is we tried to evaluate to what extent this question is actually able to predict decisions under uncertainty. And this we did it in a, in a paper that is now forthcoming in the JEEA by using another sample of 450 people that we sampled following the same rules that the SEP uses. So they are also representative. And to these people, we went out with the interviewers and they completed the questionnaire. And at the end, they were offered the possibility to take part in a lottery experiment. And that lottery experiment gave them the possibility to choose between a lottery and a safe payment, where the lottery was either zero or 300 euros with equal probability. And then individuals could choose whether to take that lottery or take a safe payment. And the safe payment we varied, you know, going from 10, 20, blah, 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 to 200 euros. Now with an expected value of 150, the switching, the switching role, so to speak, uh, the switching value of the safe option tells you something about their willingness to take risk, about their risk preference. And what we did in order to make that incentive compatible, we, I think out of every seven participants, so we, we, we randomly selected every seventh participant who was paid out, and who was paid out one randomly chosen row of this choice sheet. 
which had 20, 20 different choices. So they could win up to 300 euros using this. It was a very expensive experiment, if you want. Now, then we just try to understand, given the survey responses, can we predict what individuals did in that lottery in order to see whether this, this subjective measure of willingness to take risk actually predicts this switching point, and we did that by ordered probit, but I'm just presenting to you the bare bones figure. So down here you see the response of that risk, general risk question from zero to one, and up here you see the average safe value for the switching row, okay, from when they switched from the lottery to the safe payment. And what you see is on average people that claim to be not willing to take risks, they switch very early. So they take the lottery only up to say 70 euros. And then they switch to the safe payment, even though the lottery has expected value of 150. Now, the guys that are more willing to take risk, they, they switch much later. They switch at 110, 120. So on average, we find a very strong correlation of that subjective measure of willingness to take risk on actual risk taking in, in an experiment, in an incentivized experiment. Now, we also have tons of work by now by us and, and other people that shows that this question is actually very useful in predicting economic behavior under uncertainty if you, if you really want to look at the big representative data samples. So we have one paper where we use that measure to predict, um, so we, we have established that this measure predicts self-employment, public sector employment and so on and so forth. We have one, one paper where we look at occupational sorting according to the riskiness, the unexplained uh, riskiness in terms of uh, wages, earnings, the, the unexplained part that you cannot explain by mean salary and wage regression, or in the other paper we look at intra-German moving decisions, and we find that people that are more willing to take risk, they take on average uh, more frequently a moving decision, and they also tend to sort themselves into occupations that, have, that are characterized by a higher degree of unpredictable wage variation. Also, the domain-specific questions, they predict behavior quite well in, in different uh, domains. So the health-related risk preference or willingness to take risk measure actually predicts smoking, and you can, you can make up all of them. So why do I tell you all that? Well, in order to assure you that this willingness to take risk measure that we're using, this general risk question, is actually a fairly good predictor of decisions under uncertainty. So we can be fairly confident that if we find a correlation in this risk measure from parents to children, we're really capturing something that has to do with decision-making under uncertainty by part of the parents or by part of the children. Now what about the trust measure? The trust measure is something that has been used frequently in the, in the psychology literature, I was told, which, has, which is essentially a measure of the, the belief of trustworthiness of other, others and is collected by responses to three different questions about trust, reliance and caution as we call them. Essentially it's the expression of agreement to questions like in general one can trust people. In these days, you can't rely on anybody else, or when dealing with strangers, it's better to be careful 
before you trust them. And what we do is we use these responses which are on a scale agree fully, agree somewhat, disagree somewhat, disagree fully. We, we uh, use these measures and combine them in a principal component. And this direct, this, this is what we call the trust measure and this measure has been used by FAIR and, and others uh, also in, in a similar validation exercise to the one that we did which was a bit more complicated because they really had to set up a scheme where they matched people and, and actually, actually paid out uh, the relevant decisions to other people. But uh, so what they showed is that this measure too uh, reflects uh, to a certain extent the behavior, behavioral consequences of situations in which you can trust others or in which you can decide not to trust others. So let me come to the main results. Now I've shown you the measures that we're going to use to talk about intergenerational transmission of attitudes and preferences and in, with that to a certain extent on the stability of economic outcomes or the underlying mechanism maybe of stability of economic outcomes across generations. And what, what I will show you is some main results on this intergenerational transmission. Um, then I'm going to present you some robustness checks. Then I move on to the assortative mating channel. I move on to the environment and then in the end I give you some results on the within-person stability over time of this risk, risk, general risk question or general risk attitude measure. Essentially this is the, this is the main result of the paper already. Okay? So what we have here is we have the responses of mothers in our sample to this general risk question from 0 to 1 and conditional on the response whether it was 0, 1, 2 and so on and so forth I just plot the average response of the child and what you see is if the mother tends says I'm very willing to take risk then the child tends to say the same and this the, the red line here is a weighted regression line weighting by frequencies you see that there is one big outlier here that's apparently people that have gotten the, the scale wrong but for the regression or for the correlations that I'm going to show you they don't play a big role because it was very few people in our sample. So what we see is that higher willingness to take risk by mothers tends to be reflected by a higher willingness to take risk by children and this is the, the corresponding picture for fathers. So also here it's the same scale